Hello, and welcome to the Sermon Audio Podcast for Edgewood Church in Danville, Illinois. This week at Edgewood. The scripture. Um, I'm reading last week's and this week's from Thessalonians. I'm going to read that and then we're going to pray. Um, I'm reading these together because they go together. So I'm going to start with 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13. I will put this up on the slides for you so you can follow along. Read with me. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13 says, But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so through Jesus God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive who are left until the coming of the Lord will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Now, concerning the times and the seasons, brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you, for you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying there's peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. But you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief. For you are all children of light, children of the day. We are not of the night or of the darkness. So then let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and to be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love and for a helmet, of, for a helmet the hope of salvation." For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, who died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with Him. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up, just as you are doing. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you, God, for this day. I thank you for your word. I thank you for what you have written to Uh, the Thessalonians, through the Apostle Paul. God, I ask now that you would guide and direct my words today. Uh, Lord, I ask that what I speak would be according to what your Spirit lays on my heart and in line with your word and your truth. I pray this now in Christ's name. Amen. All right, so first things first, before I really get into this passage, okay, I'm going to do a little bit of teaching. Um... I toyed around a long time with whether or not I wanted to teach on this. I'm not going to do a full-on explanation here. But there is something that, even though I don't necessarily need to, I feel it might be helpful. Okay? Now, I have no idea how this is going to be received by you. You ready for this? You may not even know this. I'm going to tell you some things. You may go, I don't even, I didn't even know. I didn't even know, man. I didn't even know. There are four different views of how the end times will play out. 
Four views. Now, there's actually a lot more views than that, but there are four that fall into the category. So let's pretend for a moment this platform represents biblical believability. Okay? There's things off of the scope of like, like there's some crazy things the way the world went. You go way out here, be like, the lizard is going to show up. You know, the ninth planet, Nibiru, will come by. I mean, there's crazy stuff out there, right? Okay. I'm not talking about that stuff. But here, within biblical believability, there are four views. Now, the reason why I want to share these four views is not because I'm going to try to sway you into one of these views. I don't want to do that. I don't think that you're, where you land on these four views is going to affect how you approach the scripture today. But I do think if you're focused in on one of those views too much, you'll miss the point of the passage. Does that make sense? So I'm not going to try to sway you into one of these four views. I'm just going to say, this is the four views. Now, this is going to come as a surprise to a lot of you, um, because probably most of, you, most of you just thought, well, it's the Bible, so there's one way that it's all going to play out. That's what the Bible says, and somebody studied it and figured it out, and this is what it says, right? Well, there, there are very smart people who love Jesus and, and fall within the scope of biblical believability that, that interpret some of these things slightly differently, okay? You may not like that. I don't like that. Do you like that? I don't like that. I need, somebody really smart has got to figure this out for us so we know which one's the... Okay. There's some things that we know. And I'm going to talk about those. But when it comes to interpreting or figuring out how the end times is going to play out, I'm going to tell you right now that there's four possibilities that all fall within the scope of these could be true and fit with the Bible. Does that make sense? Okay. Let me share with you the first one. The first one, I picked the first one I think probably most of you know. Actually, it has a name. You probably didn't know that. It's called dispensational premillennialism. If you're sitting out there going, that's me. Congratulations. All right, now, I, this is probably what you're familiar with, most of you, I would say. This is the kind of how things play out according to how you've been taught. Okay? Um, the, the word premillennialism, uh, all these views have something to do with that, even though I think it's an odd way to name them because there's a whole lot more about these different views than just that. But there's this thing, one chapter in the book of John, or, or the book of Revelation written by John, that talks about this thing called the millennium. And it's, the millennium is a place where Christians will be united in peace under the reign of Jesus Christ, but up until that time, all Christians are going to fight about it. It's a joke wasn't a funny one. Did you get it? Yeah, yeah. Okay, so this one chapter, we're going to argue about it. Okay, I don't argue about it because I don't understand it. Um, but you look at this. Okay, so, okay, so is, let me ask you this. Does this look pretty familiar to you? Israel in the Old Testament. Jesus comes across. Church. Some point. Uh, now, there's, there's two different thoughts already, even in this one. Some people believe that this great tribulation, how long is the great tribulation going to last? You guys probably know this one, don't you? Seven years, okay. Um, some people say you're going to be raptured up before then. Some people think halfway through, right, okay. And then the second coming of Christ. Then there's going to be this thousand year that Revelation talks about, this millennium, and then final judgment, eternity. Okay, that's one view, okay. This view, I'm going to say a little bit more about when this one came about, but this view became popular in 1970, 
with a guy named Hal Lindsey, um, and it's called a book called The Late Great Planet Earth. And so some people have actually seen this. This is a first picture of a first edition. I don't have it, by the way. But uh, this one, this is what spurred uh, things like, oh, you're, have you heard of this one, the Left Behind series? Right? Now, Hal Lindsey, um, in addition to this one, like he, it, a lot of these things, he's the one that like, took this view and made it popular. It, there's 500,000 copies of this first edition that were printed, but there's been like three to six million copies printed and distributed since then, okay? So that's the first view. Now, just out of curiosity, no judgment, who in here would say that's what's going to happen, right? <laughs> I thought that's what was going to happen. Let me ask you this. Anybody here say, I have no clue. Okay. Uh, all, right, all right, good, good. That actually helps. I'd prefer that. That's... Who in here would say, this is what I grew up learning? Rapture, tribulation, Jesus comes back, millennium. Okay. That's just one view. Here's another one. This one is called historic premillennialism. So it's still called premillennialism because Christ still comes back before the millennium. Um, I will say something intriguing about this one. Uh, let me just tell you a, a famous person that, that believed this one. There, there's a guy who, knew, who, who wrote Revelation? John. There's a guy who knew John personally, who wrote, and they didn't call them commentaries. They, they usually call them homilies. He wrote a commentary on the book of Revelation. And this guy, you know what he believed? This way. That's pretty significant, isn't it? The guy that knew the guy that wrote Revelation interpreted Revelation this way. That, when I first heard that, I went, what? First, because when I first heard that there was other views, I was like, yeah, that Satan teaches. <laughs> right? That was my first, you know, when somebody said there's other views. That's what I, but then I, then I started realizing like, there's a whole bunch of really smart, God-loving, God-fearing Christians that are studying the Bible that they didn't understand Revelation quite the same. In fact, then I started learning, like, wait a minute. Like, there's a lot of people through the course of history, that took different views. This one, notice, a little bit different. Still some similarities. This is called Ah Millennialism. Ah Millennialism. Um, the Ah, mean, like if somebody is amoral, it means they don't have morals. Ah Millennialism, which is really a bad title because it's not that these people believe that there isn't a millennium. They just believe that the millennium is a completely a, a spiritual thing. It's, it's to be interpreted that way. Now, I, I would love if I had time to go into details I will tell you that just yesterday I rewatched. There's a debate I watched that had uh, three different pastors, um, and each one had the different view. And we had John Piper was the one that was officiating the debate, and each one took that view, and they were explaining their different views. And I have to say, I, I, it's so fascinating to listen to it, uh, to have these men who love God and gr agree on all the important things, but come down a little bit different on these things, right? Um, but... The millennium is this thing, basically, that's going on in what we might call heaven right now. Okay? Now, I'm not explaining it very well. I'm just learning about this one. It's very interesting, very fascinating. Uh, there's another one. Uh, this is the last of the four views. Um, this one is called post-millennialism. Um, post-millennialism is the most optimistic of all of them. Post-millennialism, one of the key characteristics of it is that the millennium will be ushered in by God's people on this earth, and Christ doesn't come back until after. So interesting. I know you're probably going, well, wait, what about this? What about this? What about this? What? Okay, I get it. Lots of questions. I will tell you, when you lay out the details of what the scriptures actually say, 
each one of these four views can fall into a category of biblical believability. Okay? All right. A couple other things. A comparison. I'm going to do this real quick. With all four of them, does Jesus come back? Yes. That's good to know, isn't it? <laughs> no matter how you look at it, Jesus is coming back. Okay? Yay, I heard a whistle. Um, when will Jesus return? They, they alter a little bit on this. Um, do the rapture and the second coming of Christ occur at the same time? And there's only one that doesn't say that they happen at the same time. The other three say, yeah, that, those things happen at the same time. Um, will there be a great tribulation? Um, different views on that, what that looks like. I'd love, if you're like really super interested in it, I would love to tell you about some of these in more detail. I'm forcing myself not to. You're welcome. Um, Will Christians suffer during the tribulation? Uh, one of them says no. The other three views say yes. Um, will there be a literal thousand year? Um, two yeses, two noes. Um, who is saved? Uh, interesting, they all agree again here. Who's saved? Christians, right? Is the modern state of Israel relevant to the prophecies? Understanding. One says yes, the rest go no. That's there's different, that different, okay? Very valid, very important things. Um, when was this view most held? Now, this is what really piqued my interest when I was first figuring out. The, after I got over the fact that maybe they, all these other ones weren't Satan's teachings, I was like, okay. Then I started looking at when they came up. Okay, so the, the one I'd grown up learning, you know, Left Behind, I can still remember the movie we showed at church when I was a kid. Terrifying. This mom was blending stuff in her blender. It was made in the 70s. You know, and then it pans away and it comes back. The blender, the lid's off, the food's everywhere. Where'd she go? She was taken. Right? Um, that view, like the, the rapture and the tribulation and all these things going on, the Antichrist, the beast, and all looking that particular way and interpreted that way, that, that came about in 1860. So, no offense, but if you hold that view, for 1,860 years, people, Christians didn't get it. So they didn't view it that way. I'm just telling you. That's a pretty significant point. I'm not so arrogant to think that our generation, just because we figured out these things, tablets and cell phones, doesn't mean that we're smarter than all of them. In fact, to prove it to you, just go back and try to read something that was written 200 years ago, and you'd be like, I can't do it. You know I mean? Okay. I'm sorry. Was that mean? I'm sorry. Um, historic premillennials, pre this is the earliest view of the end times emerging at the end of the first century. Um, like I said, a guy that knew John, that's how he interpreted Revelation. I think that's hugely important. I'm not, not, I'm not saying which one of these I fall into. I think maybe you figured out which one I don't fall into. The first one. I've abandoned that one. Okay. Um, I'm kind of leaning towards these other three right now. Um, it's interesting, Amillennials was popularized in the 400s, but um, uh, one of the, the groups of people during the Reformation really saw a big boom in that, um, specifically when you get into post-millennialism. I'll, I'll tell you who really grabbed a hold of the post-millennial view was our founding fathers of this country. Um, Jonathan Edwards, theologians at the beginning of this country. That's why you get things in the founding fathers' view of how America was to be, they called it the city on a hill because they were looking to try to make God's kingdom happen here. 
God's way through the teaching and preaching of the gospel, not by force. They got hijacked by different things. I'm just telling you, that's the history of it, okay? That makes sense? Okay. All right, so let me pop these four up. Tell me something that is in all four, just by glancing at the, I know the printing is small. What's something you see in all four? Eternity, I heard that one. Okay, good. Eternity, I think I heard another one. What's another one? There's a cross. We all agree so far, right? What's something else you see in all of those? Second coming. Now, it might change a little bit exactly when that's going to happen, but Jesus is coming back. There's one more that's in there. Tribulation. Tribulation plays out differently in all of them, but there's going to be, before the final eternity, there's going to be trials here. There's one more. Millennium, and that, but that was the one I was looking for. Millennium ha, is in all of them, right? But the one I was looking for, sorry, Millennium was right, though. I'm glad you said that. Um, the one that is in all, is all of them as well as church, right? Final judgment. You, you see these things that we hear. The timetable is different, but there's some things that we know for sure are going to happen, okay? Now, Take a deep breath. Does anybody need to stand up and stretch for a minute? Okay. I had to do this because the point that Paul makes in the passage of Scripture, I'm afraid, would be lost if you come at it with just one of those views in mind. Think instead, Jesus is coming. Okay? There's a church he established. We can have trials and tribulations here. Jesus is coming, and he's going to do something, and then we have eternity. Okay? So let's keep those things. Hold on to those ideas in your head. And let's go back to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, because Paul just finished telling them, encourage one another with these words. There's Christ is coming back. There's going to be a real, actual resurrection body you're going to get. You're not going to be a floaty thing for eternity. And I'm so thankful for that. Aren't you thankful for that? Uh, some of you got all of your theology from Farside Comics, okay? Sitting up in clouds, you know, playing a little harp, you know. Uh, that's no real resurrection. We're going to eat food. The new heavens and new earth. Okay. Paul then tells the Thessalonians, after reminding them of this, he says this to them. I love this. Now, concerning means that they must have written to him. Remember, Timothy came back with some questions from the Thessalonians. And so here's one of the things he's addressing. Now, concerning, sounds just like us, concerning the times and the seasons. Because just like us, what were the Thessalonians probably doing? Well, when's it going to happen? How, what's the order? What's the timetable? When's he coming back? What's Paul say? Now, concerning the times and the season, brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you, anything new, nothing new. What you know is good enough, is what he's saying to them. We all have that inclination. Has there been anybody in your lifetime that's tried to predict, like, it's happening now? Have you heard about anything? That, oh, there's one that sticks out in my head right away. 88 reasons why the rapture will be in 1988. Who remembers this book? Showing your age, right? Some of you are like, 88? I, I remember that book. 
I also remember there was another one that came out the next year called 89 Reasons Why He's Coming in 89. <laughs> that's not a joke. Not a joke. I'm totally serious, yeah. Same guy. He wrote a third book called uh, something like On Borrowed Time or something like that, <laughs> which is so funny. That's so funny. Um, there's another one happened in 92, 1992. I just vaguely remember hearing about this one in the news. It, this one actually happened in, with Korean Christians in South Korea. Um, there was a pastor that had basically said, God is coming back. Here's, a, here's actually still on a poll out in California. There were some of their believers out in California. Um, some of these have remained to this day. We have pictures of these things that uh, Jesus would come back in Oct- October 28, 1992. Um, obviously, it didn't happen. That one was very tragic, though. There was, I mean, he had convinced thousands of people. There were 20,000 um, uh, people in South Korea that had believed his teaching. And like on that day, they had to surround the building where these people were in to try to prevent mass suicides. They were worried about them like when it didn't happen. And it and there's news stories of this where, like, after the day, after midnight comes and goes, a little boy came out to him and said, nothing happened. <laughs> but they wanted it. Even in uh, ancient times, there was things like this. That, believe it or not, the year 1000, like, remember the year 2000? When it was getting close to the year 1000, they were doing the same thing. Like, this is it. The year 1000 is going to happen. And there was bishops and priests and popes, like, oh, this is going to, the year 992, not the year 1990, but the year 992, they were going, oh, it's going to happen, he's coming back. I think Paul is clearly teaching us, now concerning the times and the seasons, brothers, you have no need to have anything to stop that. In other words, wrong question. Wrong question. He goes on to say this, verse 2, why is this the wrong question? Why do they not need further information? He says this, for you yourselves are fully aware. If you hadn't figured it out by now, you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord, echoing Old Testament times, the day of the Lord is always, always, always in the Old Testament referring to times when the Lord comes in judgment. And what's Paul say? The day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. I've never been robbed, but I'm pretty sure most thieves don't go. Um, October 28th, I'm going to swing by your house, 2.15. Um, I'm taking all your stuff. <laughs> How do thieves come? Unexpectedly. Now, we're getting so close to the point of this whole passage. Knowing that a thief can come unexpectedly, does that mean you, you can be unprepared for the thief? But does it also mean that you can't be prepared for the thief? Okay? The day of the Lord will come. Jesus actually uses the same illustration when he talks about the last things. He says the same thing, that the return of himself will be like a thief. He uses the illustration of a thief. Verse 3, while people are saying, Paul goes on to say, while people are saying, there's peace and security. By the way, this is a Roman saying. Many of their, you're going to love this, many of their politicians would proclaim, like we have inscriptions, you know, 
They weren't elected the same way, but inscriptions, peace and security, peace and security, peace and security. And when people are saying peace and security, just when you think peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them the way labor pains come upon a pregnant woman. Uh, Now, I know that some of the ladies in here that have given birth recently, you probably scheduled like, okay, I need to be, you know, What's the, word, what's the word I'm looking for? Yes, induced. Um, but then, uh, with, with the epidural, take away the pain. Oh, yeah, somebody like, epidural? Um, all you older ladies in here are like, you can have that. <laughs> it comes upon, that's what, I mean, this is Paul's illustration. He switches from thief in the night to these labor pains. Just all of a sudden, boom, you have an idea. It's, it's, it's going to happen. You're looking at your belly. It's going to happen, right? Some of you ladies that were, I, I looked at you and I knew it was going to happen. Right? About ready to pop. You know what's going to happen? But then when it finally comes, right? This is the illustration Paul's using. I try to think of some illustrations of peace and security. So I delved into my own dark recesses of my own soul. Um, now, okay, what's the key element of this picture? White picket fence. Oh, the arbor? <laughs> I, didn't know any, I don't even know what an arbor is. Um, the, the thing that gets me about this picture, the roof isn't leaking. I, I have this inner desire to get all of my ducks in a row. I have thought in my head, if I could just, and there's been times where I was so close I could taste it, where I thought I almost had everything lined up just right, where I could take a proverbial, just relax in my life. Does that happen? Some of you look at me like, 1983, <laughs> September the 23rd, for two seconds, <laughs> and then boom, right? Uh, some of us, this is our, our peace and security. Now, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with this in and of itself. I'm just trying to get you to think a certain way about what Paul might be saying about these people. What, what, what are you putting your hope in, okay? Um, this one I, I picked because it's a... It looks like Gatlinburg somewhere, vacation rental. Anybody ever been on one of those vacation rentals? My brother-in-law is on one right now. He's posting pictures on Facebook, and I'm like, jerk. <laughs> I've seen those pictures, like, relaxing. There's something about that, though. Like, it's the dream. You get to a place where we can do that more. Ooh, I went a different direction, didn't I? If I could just get my guy, peace and security. Bull Oni. You thought I was going to say something else, didn't you? (laughs) Some of you, that is. Some of you, that is. (laughs) I feel good. I feel good. (laughs) I'm sorry. I had to put that one in there. Oh, here's one of mine. Back to me. Here's one of mine. I don't know. I don't know where this is. 
I want to live in some little Mediterranean village somewhere, right? And I want to get up every day and walk down to the local coffee shop and get myself a little cup of coffee from my little villa and, and, and sit down and pop my Bible open and look out across the waves. Relax. That's my... Some of you, it's not far away. You just want one peaceful night at home. Fire's burning. As far as you know, the grandkids are all safe. You got your book. The spouse is snoring over on the, the lazy boy. Okay. Just because I have an inner Jimmy. This one. Oh. <laughs> Beach life calls to me. I tell you right now, Paul's point, while people are saying, I don't care where you find it or think you've found it, when people are saying, there's peace and security, finally got it, found it, and sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains comes upon a pregnant woman and they will not escape. See, I've heard it put this way before. The it's not important to try to figure out the times and the seasons because, frankly, you don't know when your day of the Lord is going to come. Right? It could be today. It's a very real possibility that you may not make it home. That could happen. You don't know your day. Matt, can we go back to last week's? That was so nice and comforting. This is where Paul goes. The day of the Lord, G.K. Bill says, is a well-known phrase throughout the Bible and without exception refers to God's judgment of and defeat of his adversaries, including those who claim to be his people but really are not. Paul's talking to the Thessalonians that are going to receive this letter, and he's saying, you... People, be ready. Verse 4, but you're not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief. There's two ways that we can think about this coming day of the Lord. Some people are going to, it's going to take them off guard, shocked, surprised. But others, if you're not of darkness, which I hope is true of all of you, you're not in darkness. Brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief. Still comes like a thief. I, 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 I wrestled with this verse because I'm like, the thief thing is still there. You see that it's still there? It still comes like a thief. But what's taken away is the surprise. That doesn't, that doesn't have to mean that I know the day. I, it just means I'm not going to be taken off guard. In an actual house, I could be an alarm system. Right? You're ready. For some of you, you're ready. You know how you're ready? You roll over to the side of your bed, there's a gun. <laughs> that might be my mother-in-law. <laughs> Do not sneak into her house. <laughs> she will not be surprised. <laughs> you will. 
You're not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief. For you are all children of light, children of the day. You're not of the night or of the darkness. So then let us not sleep. You see these two things start. He's playing them out a little bit. There's some words that are describing the non-ready and the ready. You see that? So then let us not sleep as others do. Let us keep awake and be sober. Those who sleep, sleep at night. And those who get drunk are drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. If you take this to its minimal, I could say don't get drunk. But if that's all you walk away from this hearing, you've missed some bigger pictures, haven't you? I'm going to quote G.K. Beale again. He says this. He says, to be drunk spiritually is to imbibe too much of the world's way of looking at things and not enough of the way God views reality. You don't have to have alcohol to get drunk on life. And you can be so caught up in, in enjoying the moment that you forget the realities that God is laying out for you. Life is a breath. To be intoxicated with the world's wine is to be numbed to, numbed to feeling any fear in the present like right now, of coming judgment. What does this look like? I have to ask the question, why? Let's go back to that verse. Let us not sleep. I'm almost done, by the way. I had to break this up into two parts. There's so much here that I'm going to have to dig into a little bit deeper on the how. I just want to leave you with some last thoughts here to get you thinking the right direction. Ephesians 5, this is not the only place that we hear these kind of thoughts spoken about. Ephesians 5 says this, um, Paul talking about when a person becomes a Christian, becomes saved, he says, for at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord, walk as children of light. Do you hear similar things being said here? Walk as children of light, the fruit of the light is found in all that is good and right and true. So being in light, as opposed to being in the darkness... Being in the light is being ready. Being in the darkness is not. Being awake and alert and watchful, ready, asleep, drunk, right? Not sober, in darkness, and not ready. John puts it this way, 1 John, if we say we have fellowship with him, speaking about God, if we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, We lie. I do not practice the truth. Wake up. Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he's going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. Remember, Paul's writing this to the Thessalonians, to the church that is there, to people who are hearing this teaching. And Paul is concerned that some of them that are within earshot aren't actually ready for the day of the Lord. This is Paul's whole mission. 
Acts 26, 18, when he's talking to King Agrippa, he says to open the eyes, open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to God. Just so you're, if you're confused about which one is which, right? That they may receive forgiveness of sins and, and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. This is God giving Paul his direction. Being ready, being awake, being sober is to really be a child of God, a child of the light. Now, I'm going to read to you a sentence from my notes that is the whole thing wrapped up in a sentence, okay? I could have just gotten up here today and just shared this one sentence, but I thought, I've got to build into this because if I just start here, it's not going to make sense. A passage like this speaks to those who are in the hearing of regular preaching but are not truly children of the light. I'm going to read that again. The passage like this, Paul writes, is a passage that's speaking to those who are in the hearing of regular preaching, but are not truly children of light. Some of you may have grown accustomed and you've sunk into your peace and security, and it's not really, this is the concern Paul has, this is the concern I have. This is the concern I have for myself, I have to question myself. Have I sunk into the peace and security of the house of cards that I've built for myself in this world, or am I fully resting in Christ? And how do I know the difference? And Paul lays it out. Are you a children of the light? Children of darkness. What, what, what are you doing? Are you ready? I want to be ready. Well, how do you know if you're ready? What are you doing? I think in a, a simplistic way of understanding this is, is the same thing that happens when your mom says, don't eat the cookies. I'll be right back. Right? What's the kid do? Now, think, think about it. Let me use Kleenex box instead of cookies. I don't know about you, but the don't eat the cookies could have ended up literally looking at me, looking at the cookies like this. Don't eat the cookies. Don't eat the cookies. <laughs> right? Now, if I go for a cookie, does that not simply reveal the heart of disobedience that was already there? So Paul can speak about these things. The way you live, if you walk as a child of light, or you walk as, it's just a revealing of your heart. And I want to warn you, as Paul warns you, It's great last week what we talked about. There's a resurrection coming. I'm going to tell you what. You don't know the day of the Lord. It's going to come like a thief in the night. Be ready. That's what Paul's saying. If you're not 100% positive you're ready, start digging into the scriptures. I'm not going to get up here and say, if you're not 100% positive, come up here right now and pray this prayer and then you'll be good. That's not how you can know that you're a child of God. 
is it? How can you know according to scriptures if you're a child of the light and you're following the light? And those works of darkness, you're abandoning those things. Now, some of you, I know, this can be tough to hear because some of you, your pathway out of darkness into light is like you're still in the first fumbling steps. And a lot of times you feel there's still a lot of darkness here. And I found that when I talk about these things, it's usually the ones that are like clawing their way to Jesus like this that get the most worried. They're like, oh no. Okay, if, if you're clawing your way to Jesus, that's awesome. The ones I get the most concerned about are the ones that have for years and years and have relaxed into their haunches. And they're, they're not, I mean, if you were to examine their life with a microscope, if they were to examine their own life, they're not living for Jesus anymore. They could, they could care less about souls in this world. I mean, they, who gives a flip? Really? Oh, they come to church and sing praises. But then they go out there and they see people and they're like, I hate those people. You say you love God and hate your brother. You're not loving God. And so I get concerned about those a long time. And they've cleaned up their act pretty good. But man, their heart is dark. So I want to warn you. Don't stop heading towards the light. Don't stop heading towards the light. All right, now, I would like to, because we haven't done this in a long time, I've got something. Did you guys see this up here? Um, ages and ages ago, Christians called, they didn't call this communion, the Lord's Supper, they'd call it. One of the titles that this came to, um, and we, we preached, we went through this a while ago, um, one of the things that this became known as was um, a means of grace. I don't want you to be confused by that term. If I say this is a means of grace, it's a title that theologians used to give to communion. It does not mean that this is magical bread, right? It's just bread. Now, it's pretty good bread. My mom made it. It's delicious. Okay? It's good. Um, by the way, just we haven't done this because of all, everything that's going on, right? And I've been, man, work. Oh, do we do it? Do we not do it? Do we do it? Do we not do it? I, I, but this is, this is important, too. This didn't save anybody. But it, I agree with that concept of it being a means of grace because, because we are to constantly be partaking in who Christ is. And I need to, to take of his body and remember his blood that was shed. I need that every week. I don't just need it every once in a while. You saw, I shared some pictures. I'm ready, I'm ready for Corona Beach life. That resides in there. I want to escape the responsibilities that God has laid out for me. I see it creeping up in little ways like when I, I mean, I, I, I joke and I say and I go, man, I'm waiting for the real pastor to come here. And there's a part of me that really means that. I really do mean that. I'm like, I'm constantly like, Lord, really, come on, bring the real guy here that knows what he's doing to lead these people. Do it. But I also know that there's some sin in there that's going, I don't want the responsibility. Because I've read the texts. I stand before God one day, give an account for how I led you. So I need, I need Christ. 
And this is one of those ways that we, we as human beings, we remind ourselves, like, Jesus died on the cross for me, and I, I'm partaking in who he is, and, and I'm going to drink. And that's why we, we started doing the, where we actually have some bread we can actually break to, to remember, this is my body, which is broken for you, so we can visualize that and think about how Christ was on the cross, he died for me. I need that stuff to make it through every week. I go without it too long, and I start forgetting and then I get to a place where this, thinking about the blood of Christ, starts taking back seat to Corona on the beach. That actually seems more appealing to me. And I think if you are honest, there's some of you in this room right now would say, that's true for me too. I much more long for something like that than I do for this. I mean, but I... I if you're thinking about that, more, that's greater than this, and you're missing what this is. Does that make sense? Okay. So, we took precautions. Okay, so I know that some of you in this room, you're going to go, I don't feel comfortable with that. Here's what we're going to do, okay? Um, my mom took precautions when she made it. My dad, um, I don't know if my mom had to tie him down or not, but made him put on gloves and a mask when he put it in the thing. So he was covered, good, right, clean. It's all good right now. I'm going to have Pastor John come on up. He's going to put the mask on. And this is what we're going to do. And this is going to be uncomfortable for some of you, but here's what we're going to do. Um, I'm going to have, if you want to participate, and I know you're going to sit there and go, man, I don't like this. This makes me uncomfortable. Too bad. Um, uh, I'm going to have Pastor John up here. And because we were talking about, okay, the logistics of it, like, okay, if we pass around, then everybody's breathing on it when it goes by, and uh, okay. Um, so what we're going to do is, if you want to partake in this, I want you to come up here, and I'm going to have you come, uh, just, just pop up, not yet, pop up, you're going to come up the middle aisle. John, who's gloved and masked, he is going to take one out and hand it to you, so not everybody's leaning over it, right? He's going to hand you, and we've got the the juice and the bread in a double cup little thing, right? He's going to hand it to you. We try to get one of those prepackaged ones, but they, as you can imagine, are out of stock. <laughs> um, they originally said they're back order three weeks, and then they yeah, had yeah, they, they never, they never came, and then they emailed and said, uh, "We don't have these. Do you want to?" Re okay. So this is what we got. If you feel comfortable with partaking in this, with the precaution we made, I want to encourage you. What I'd like you to do is come up here. John's going to hand you the cup. Go back to your seat and just, just hold it. Once everybody's come through that wants to, I'm going to lead you through the rest. Does that sound good? Okay. Um, while people are doing this, I don't know if anybody can... I know how uncomfortable you guys get with silence, so we'll have somebody playing the piano. And um, I thought about reading through this portion of 1 Thessalonians again one more time. Um, and uh, we'll go from there. So let me go ahead and pray a blessing on this. And then if you want to come up, and get a cup, John will hand one to you, and then you can go back to your seat and just hold on to it, and then we'll lead you through the rest, okay? Heavenly Father, I just pray now that you would bless this bread and cup. Lord, as we're getting ready to partake in this, we're going to distribute this now, Lord. We're doing this because we recognize our ongoing need of you and what you've accomplished for us on the cross, and we don't want to forget that as the central thing. We don't want to get caught up in, in the concept of trying to be children of light and forget the cross. That's not pot. We can't do that. Lord, the cross is central. All of our hope is in you. 
So I pray that you bless this bread and cup as it's distributed today. In your name I pray, amen.